they always say, no, I've got the unique theory that solves everything. So Jesus is the only one that says, no, the only way to have the true human individual self is to let go of the fact that you have an individual self. To recognize how much you want things is just driven by other people because you're copying them. You're coveting them. You just want to be them instead of just imitate me. You won't have that same hunger. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle. Light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's Firestarter is David Gnorski. David is a writer, speaker, radio host, film director, who is dedicated to introducing Jesus' personhood revolution to the church and the broader public. A Neighbor's Choice is the name of his radio show that interviews contrarians and misfits from people locked away for life for nonviolent choices to pioneer nutrition scientists and nuclear energy entrepreneurs. What binds the show's narrative together is the way Jesus' personhood principles unlock our blindness to toxic groupthink and zero-sum coercion, or politics, then opens the door to win-win solutions and secrets left to be discovered in nature. David also does a weekly dive podcast called Things Hidden, as well as a YouTube channel at David Gernoski, where he interviews people like Jordan Peterson, theologian David Bentley Hart, Ron Paul, Peter Schiff, James Dell Davidson, blues legend Daryl Davis, and many more diverse voices, heroes, and innovators in science and technology. This podcast is a continuation of our conversation with David. Last week's episode, we talked a great deal about Rene Girard and the mimetic theory, as well as scapegoating. And a quick synopsis is that through his literary study, Rene Girard began seeing common threads in humanity, that we have a natural tendency to do certain things. And he saw this through legend, myth, and other writings, that man likes to mimic each other to the point that it causes conflict leading to unending violence. To avoid utter destruction, man came up with scapegoating, where we cast all blame to someone in society that's different among them, and then we sacrifice them to help create peace. This violent sacrifice is replicated throughout civilization to resolve conflict, destruction, and societal famine. However, Gerard discovered that the Bible helps to deconstruct that mimetic theory and scapegoating so that man can see a different way to resolve conflict and provide lasting peace. We begin this podcast catching up with questions that I had about the Bible and the story of Abraham. Well, and let's kind of move through like that biblical text when we talk about um, like Abraham. I loved how you were talking, you know, I, I had listened to, to one before where you talked about Abraham and how, you know, with his sacrifice of Isaac, all of a sudden, like God, with that sacrifice, he stopped that scapegoat mechanism uh, situation right. that was going on. I mean, then that began yeah, animal because, sacrifice, right. but, but go ahead and talk about that a little yeah. bit. So it's like, so sacrifice is like our pacifier, you know, 
It helps soothe us. Yeah, right? that, that's what like our origin is, is that we have this desire basically to have some kind of a sacrifice or a scapegoat. Like that's our natural inclination, right. basically. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. I think that. I think God designed us to not do that, but we made we wanted to make God in our own image, and that's what we've been working on ever since. Uh -huh. and, our, and the God of our own image is sacrificial. The God of our own image is ego, and all about you know might makes right. And the real God, He can only get us to listen to Him by allowing us to expel Him in our little fits of rage and righteous indignation. So that's the only way He gets us to hear Him is through expelling Him and everybody who is imitating His true character. So in the story of Abraham, you know, you have, you know, we, we think, oh, this is so barbaric. And it's like, no, this was totally passe for that time. And that time, child sacrifice was very common. People don't realize how Christian they are when they're an atheist. And they're saying, oh, my goodness, how could a God ever ask for that? But that's the whole point. The story is, is that maybe God didn't really want that. Maybe that was a, a break in the narrative that, that, that gives you the true meaning of what God wants, which is, wait a second, before you kill your child, you don't need to kill your child for you to feel like you're, you know, loving me and, and being faithful and being a good person. Look, if you need to kill something, kill this animal, okay? Just take your, here's your pacifier, let's move it to an animal so you stop killing humans. See what I mean? Yeah. And that's and that's that's how you see this radical break where I mean the Incas and every other community around the world was still gladly killing their children. And here's this story that's totally radically progressive beyond anybody's imagination saying hey if you need to kill something take an animal instead if you need to do something like this to, to not kill each other kill an animal if you have to do something like this yeah and that's that's what that scapegoat ritual is in leviticus they put all their sins on the back of a goat and then cast the, the goat out into the wilderness to die to be uh kind of like a the bearer of the bad blood between everybody that was hating each other so the only reason why we know the only reason why I'm able to see the lie of mythology is because we have the Bible influencing our sense-making ability. It's like what allows us to pierce the veil of the fake news that is mythology. Mythology is always concealing the violence. It always wants to project the violence that we do to each other into the sky as if the gods just do these things. They demand sacrifice, and that's why. So that's why the, that, that original scapegoat murder uh, is something that primordial humans stumble into by accident. It's not like they are little, uh, you know, like uh, little conspiracy people just, oh, let's find a lie. No, they, they stumble onto it by accident, and then they keep repeating it because whenever there's another crisis that seeks to tear everybody apart, uh, like the Russians hacking the election, right, or something, you know, <laughs> they need to scapegoat something. Yeah. They need to scapegoat restore order or else you know they need to they need to, to tear something down and so that's where we get ritual sacrifice so ritual sacrifice is remembering the same process in a controlled manner the original scapegoat violence that solved the, the crisis of of losing ourselves and imitating each other negatively it, it, it's remembering what that was like and then you have the the, the careful repetition of it and of course with that ritual sacrifice and the religion that comes with that are mythologies that kind of are like the cover story. Okay, this is why we do what we do. We, we have to select, and that's why every community, and again, you have to ask yourself, why does every community in the ancient world all practice forms of ritual sacrifice? And in fact, it's, it's some evidence that 
the societies that really did practice it well ceased to exist. So they, they couldn't control their little anger fits with each other if they didn't effectively find a way to channel it into killing a common enemy. And so that ritual sacrifice is almost like this pacifier that was allowing humans to not go extinct. And it's almost like God doesn't want us to do this. It's wrong, but he's going to let us figure this out. And we've got to figure it out ourselves. We have to make that choice. And so it's this slow process because we're stubborn and we want to use violence. That's why we vote for who we vote for today, because we want to use violence to solve our problems. So Jesus was the true political atheist because he rejected the lie that the gods demand sacrifice. And anybody who says they're an atheist and they voted Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump to save them from whoever is not an atheist. You're totally religious. You believe in in the gods of sacrifice. Your God, instead of calling him Thor or Marduk or whatever... Your God is the will of the people, democracy, democratic socialism, uh, the general welfare, the thin blue line, law and order, whatever you want to use, you know, Western values, all the words we always use to justify doing our awful, terrible uh, gestures of sacrificial violence against each other. That's what that's those gods are still there. They just we call them ideologies now. We don't use personal character names. We call them politicians and ideologies, you know. Well, and that's where, you know, Abraham, he does the sacrifice for uh, of the unspotted or the, the flawless lamb, which has us looking towards Jesus. And then Jesus is the opposite of what our original scapegoat was. Like you said, that there was always something that was flawed or different about them. But Jesus was actually, you know, like basically the perfect human. And then that perfect human uh, sacrificed himself, basically made the sacrifice. And then that was supposed to end all sacrifices, right? And then Jesus gives us that perfect image that we're supposed to look to, basically, of of how we should live after that, right? I mean, is that, that's where the Bible kind of takes us to. Yeah, everything he says, he says he, he borrows from other people. You know, so he's the most original man in history, but he says everything he got was imitation. Because he's trying to be like... Do you see how he helps us learn what the medical science... Yeah, because yeah. he says everything I do is from the Father. I don't do anything unique. I have not added anything unique to history. And then he says everything I'm doing is also an imitation of the of the prophets before me, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So he's always taken whenever the spotlight's on him, he's always taking it and putting it back to somebody else who he who was influenced by. Yeah. And that's why he's teaching us how to let go of our fake sense of self that we desire these cars and four homes and and we desire these hatred of politicians and we desire these laws and we desire all these things that we think make us who we are. He's trying to get you to see, no, you're not. You're copying this from somebody else. Look at me. Everything I do is imitating, you know? Uh So he's the only great person in history who's come around and said, everything I got, I borrow from somebody else. Nobody else does that. Nietzsche doesn't do that. Karl Marx doesn't do that. John Maynard Keynes doesn't do that. You know, Frederick Bastiat doesn't do that. Ayn Rand doesn't do that. They don't say, Oh, everything I'm doing, I'm just imitating from those who came before me. They always say, no, I've got the unique theory that solves everything. Yeah, exactly. So Jesus is the only one that says, no, the only way to have the true human individual self is to let go of the fact that you have an individual self. To recognize how much you want things is just driven by other people because you're copying them. You're coveting them. You just want to be them instead of just imitate me. 
you won't have that same hunger. Yeah, the mimetic theory almost sounds kind of like what, you know, with the 12-step program, they talk about how you have this hole in your soul. Like, we are meant to have that desire to mimic something. And originally, we were supposed to mimic God. But, you know, we become this natural person who, like you said, we look around at each other and we want to mimic that. Um, Do you feel like that, like every person basically has this empty hole in themselves? You know, they're trying to fill it with other things. But really, that's what Jesus helps us understand is like, yeah, it's there. We have that desire to mimic, but we should mimic God, basically. Does that make sense? Like that it could be the same yeah, kind like of theory? Yeah, it's like drinking salt water to be thirsty, to get your thirsty. It's not yeah. going to quench your thirst. Yeah, exactly. And that's what recognizing, you know, that's what sin is. Sin is, you know, you're, it's a shortcut to heaven that leads to hell is the way I put it. So yeah, you're, you're, exactly. you're, you're coveting something that in some sense is good, but the way you want to attain that good thing is done in a shortcut that's always going to lead to living in a state of hell in life. And that's what all those stories and so many Old Testament stories are dealing with the victim of the collective. So again, think of it this way. Everything in history and mythology is written from the winner's crowd's perspective. So the winning crowd writes the history books. We all know this. Uh-huh. Yeah. But that's, they wrote the mythology too. <laughs> and they don't want you to let you know that because we don't want to believe that, that the fundamental core of human nature is to have this proclivity to want to have might makes right and to want to subjugate other people and create hierarchies with sacrificial violence initiated again. We don't want to believe that. Today in the West, we want to believe that that's a product of capitalism, that's a product of patriarchy, that's because men, or that's because of uh, Christianity. It's anything but just human, right? Because if we have to look at human, we're in trouble. Yeah, and I— Because why are we creating the empires that we're creating? Because we're we're giving humans more and more power. Exactly, yeah. Well, and I'd heard a pastor say, you know, that was kind of using the same theory to teach about Jesus Christ, that he says that that scapegoat is basically, we want to scapegoat something to avoid actually looking at our own faults or our own problems. And that not that what you're saying? Like, we don't want to look at humanity, you know, and that's why we use that scapegoat. You know, does that seem to work with that repentance idea? You know, like that the scapegoat? Yeah, because you want to, yeah, to, to repent is, you know, to change your mind, to turn away from what you're doing. And we, what we do is, we covet our neighbor, we build them up, and then we want to tear them down, you know? Uh-huh. And we do that individually in our relationships and conflict and, and jobs. And then we do that societally. You know, we, we build up nations and then we tear them down. We arm Saddam and then we tear him down in Iraq. We build up Assad and construct a fake nation with Assad and, and the Western powers did, you know, with the Syria construction of the Syrian country. And then we tear it down. And we do that in our... Uh, celebrity worship. We build up a star, then they make a mistake and go crazy or whatever, and then we tear them down and we revel in that. How many people were saying they couldn't wait to find a bad photo of Tim Tebow so they could tear that little, you know, purity symbol down and tear it apart, right? They want to they rip it down because that's how they solve their own problems. It's, there's different levels of scapegoating. We scapegoat politicians, we scapegoat celebrities, we scapegoat our parents, we scapegoat our, uh, you know, relationship partners, we scapegoat our our boss, we scapegoat p- police, we scapegoat prisoners, we scapegoat everybody. And we don't ever want to admit that we scapegoat because to scapegoat someone is to not know you're scapegoating them. You really believe they deserve whatever you're doing to them, yeah. you know? Don't think about it. But what the Bible does is it gets you to see how we scapegoat, and that's the first process in stopping. You have to recognize, oh, wait, if I put this drug user in a cage, it's not going to make me feel better about my addiction to food or my addiction to work. 
or my addiction to, to popularity. It's not going to help me with my own problems. So why do I need to? Why do I need to stick it to this drug user? Why do I need to throw the prostitute in prison? Because you know, if they're allowed to be free like me, then that makes me feel uncomfortable about what I do. Or, or why do I have to throw the greedy rich person in prison? Because throwing them away is not going to make me better off financially. You know, it's no matter what Elizabeth Warren and her rain-making miracles are going to do, it's not going to make it rain money on me. You know what I mean? If, if she soaks the rich, that's just a, that's just vestiges of mythological thinking. That's fake news, right? So myth, myth is fake news, and it always hides and justifies violence, the initiation of aggression, which is what the government does whenever they force to take your money or to uh, threaten you with jail time for a nonviolent victimless behavior. That is, the, that is a vestige of sacrificial violence. Yeah. Now, Christianity has made the West way more soft, right? We don't fillet people. We don't torture them alive anymore, right? Uh-huh. Like they did in the Incas and all those places. We're not doing child sacrifice, at least explicitly anymore. Well, and I love how you even talk about even in later times, like, uh, you know, during the slave times, uh, you you told a story about a guy in the South. You know, we dressed him up basically like Jesus, you know, as a king. And then we filleted that person. I mean, it's not even that long ago that we've. That was in the 1920s, I believe, actually. That was was a, a story in St. Louis. I mean, so that's just not even a hundred years from us. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? I mean, and, yeah. you know, and then, and then you know, we, we killed all these people, you know, in the Vietnam War, 50,000 soldiers died as sacrifices for the God of America. So we believe in these myths still, but we're starting to slowly wake up. The reason why we're starting to wake up faster and faster is because the Gospels, this is this weird relationship that it's kind of hard to explain quickly, but I'll just give a preview for people to think about, which is the Gospel spreads through technology and media. This is weird. You're like, what? What is? Mm-hmm. What is that? This, what's the gospel's old-fashioned religion? Technology has nothing to do with that. And you're like, oh yeah, okay. It has everything to do with that. You know, the only reason why we were able to have so many amazing advancements in the West is because the, the gospel started losing our appetite for burning witches. You know, yeah. once we start burning witches for solving our problems, we start to say, hey, what about that bacteria? Maybe we need to wash our hands when we use the restroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's Maybe that's, that's what I. We, hey, don't burn that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean about the scapegoat. Yeah, the scapegoat uh, makes it impossible for us to actually look at the problem because we're putting the problem on the scapegoat. But if we take away the scapegoat, like Jesus was saying, that's that part of repentance that we're talking about. A a new change of thought is basically, you know, what you were saying. And then that helps us see what the problem really is. And then that helps technology grow. Right. Because we're we're no longer using that scapegoat. Right. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. So. Yeah, because if you, if you really, if you believe that violence is the answer, then you'll never know what actually was the answer because you'll just keep using your more antiquated, barbaric little superstition that, oh, if I just tear this person apart, it'll make me richer. I'll tear the rich down because it'll make me richer. We know the game is rigged, but, but just tearing your neighbor down is just another lie that yeah, the uh, scapegoat mechanism uses to try to uh, perpetuate its, its existence. Exactly. And so it's always hiding. You know, in, light, in, in the light of Christianity, now we are more inclined to scapegoat in the name of victims, where in the ancient world, people scapegoated because they were the winners and they could get away with it, right? Uh-huh. And think about this, for example, just to show you the power of Jesus' message. I mean, uh, this uh, woman, that Christine uh, Ford, who accused uh, Brett Kavanaugh, right? Uh-huh. Now, regardless of what people believe about the facts of that, 
just think about it objectively for a moment. If 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was on earth, you know, if, if a woman, let's say, so Brett Kavanaugh is the Supreme Court justice, so take the equivalent of that in the Roman time, the high justice yeah, of the he Roman would, he would Empire, have been a captain or, or something. Yeah. yeah. So Senator. if he has this power, if, if some, and, and then he's, he's having a Roman, so they didn't have an election, you know, they didn't have a nomination process. They didn't have to go through that. I don't think so. So, they, so you know, they have whatever, they're doing a ritual or something. And then all of a sudden they present a woman who says, I knew this Roman senator when we went to college. And he did, he tried to do these things to me. You know, do you think for one second, you know, here's a person who has no political power, right? Mm-hmm. And she's saying that this Caesar did something in high school or college or whatever, right? They would say, off with your head, take her out. Yeah. Who cares, right? Because that's the kind of world the world had before Jesus. You know? Uh-huh, yeah. Because before Jesus, now, I mean, Jesus was with all of the downtrodden, the the prostitutes, the, you know, he was with those types of people. Right. Is that where you're going? Where, you know, he was with the, the one that yeah, people just, hated before. Right. Because Paul said, if if the powers, if the governments of the world had known what they were doing when they crucified the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have done it. It was a trick, right? Jesus used our scapegoat mechanism. He went into our scapegoat mechanism and he broke it by telling the truth about it and letting us see it. Right? Uh-huh. Because the only way humans change is through story. So God couldn't just ha- hit a microphone and say, all right, this is what you have to do. He had to show them a story so they could say, oh, oh whoa, that's really bad. We shouldn't do that. You know? <laughs> and so, so Jesus created a, a, a uh, crisis because he was bringing the scapegoats of his time and saying, hey, you want to scapegoat the tax resistor? No, I'm going to bring one of those guys and make them a disciple. You want to scapegoat the IRS agent? No, he's going to join me and become a disciple. You want to scapegoat the prostitute. You want to scapegoat the leper because you believe that sick people, just like I said, Oedipus walked with a disfigurement. That was a scapegoat. He was actually a scapegoat. Uh-huh. Well, so and the, and the Cyclops with one eye is, is a god, but it's actually a scapegoat. It was a victim of violence and the origins of that story. So, too, uh, is, the, um, is the leper, is the person who is, because in their day, they believe, well, you're sick because, you know, your family sinned or you were cursed by God. So they had the same pagan influences of, of bad ideas and fake news too. And Jesus was trying to help to say, no, you know, this person is not sick or blind because of anything they've done or their parents did. Oh uh, yeah. They're just going to be, you know, and that changes the whole world because he said the many who are the first shall be last and many who are the last shall be first. And so now, isn't that coming true? I mean, in Jesus's time, if you wanted to go to a Greek theater, you would see the most horrendous stuff in the theater. They would do the most ugly, horrific stuff and really debauched awful things. And they celebrated the worst things you can imagine in these theaters. And then sometimes they would have games. And if you were a person who was uh, disfigured or if you had a handicap, you would be used, if you wanted to go to the theater, you might be selected for that day's entertainment. You might be thrown to the lions and the whole crowd's going to laugh with roaring laughter. Yeah. Uh, so the last are now the first because think about it this way, you know, in Jesus' time when you went to the theater, the governor or the emperor sat in the best seat in the house and the, and the poorest of the poor might be thrown to the lions. And today we go to a movie theater and even if the theater is packed and the movie is starting, those handicap seats will stay open even when people are still trickling in and they know the odds that, you know, all those seats will be needed by someone who has a handicap. They won't be taken. They still won't sit there yeah. because in our time, we are so influenced 
by the first shall be last and the last shall be first. We're so influenced by the story of Jesus that we are becoming what he said we would become. We're, we're breaking our hierarchies and saying, no, the, you know, now the best seat of the house belongs to the person who has a handicap. Yeah. That used to be the seat that the emperor would seat, the perfect eye produced eye. Now we give that to the handicap and say, no, they will be the one who was mistreated or the one who wouldn't have the most comfort. Now you get the best seat. Yeah. And that's because we're Christian, right? Yeah. So Jesus is winning. He's yeah. changing history. Well, I, le- I loved your conversation with Bob Murphy because he actually said, you know, he was an atheist and he, you know, disliked the Bible because of the barbaric nature of it. But what you're saying is that he was so influenced basically by the scripture and what Jesus did that now he sees that text, which was trying to turn us to this direction as barbaric, you know, that that even though we don't think that we're religious, we're being influenced by that even without us knowing it. Isn't that correct? Right, because we're story-driven creatures, and the stories are, that we tell, and, and we are, these, those are the things that shape our culture. Culture, is, you know, the word religion means to bind together in the Latin. It means to bind together. So what binds us together? And in culture is, is from agriculture. So what are you cultivating? What are you making grow? What are you developing? So what binds us together, religion and culture are almost like synonyms. You know, what binds us together is the story of Jesus, the story that a misfit, because Jesus was a misfit. He didn't fit into any categories. He wasn't a violent revolutionary. He wasn't an ally of Rome. He wasn't the richest of the rich. He wasn't the poorest of the poor. He would hang out with the rich. He would hang out with the poor. You know, he, he didn't fit any category. And so, you know, he was a misfit. He was he was creating a crisis of identity because he was telling the people of his own time, hey, look, um, you, you know, you're not going to solve this by uh, rising up against Rome. And he said, if, if you'd only known the ways of peace, but they've been hidden from your eyes. So the question is, is there a way of peace that Israel could have actually followed and not have incurred the wrath of Rome in 70 AD when they were destroyed and leveled completely as Jesus said they would be. And yes, there is a way of peace. And it's obvious. It's don't resist evil with violence. It's turn the other cheek. And those are not like pacifistic things. Those are proactive ways for dismantling systems of evil and power by yeah. not mirroring it. See, here's, here's where we go back to the medic desire. You don't mirror the aggression leveled at you. And, and that's how you break the cycle from continuing. Yeah. And the problem is, is that we don't have enough faith in Jesus. We don't believe that's true. And that's my, most, most Christians don't believe that's true. We're supposed to be the adults in the room because we're the ones saying that we are the imitators of Jesus. Jesus is the adult in the room of history. He's the one that's exposed the scapegoat mechanism, and he's breaking it apart slowly. But we are supposed to be his body. And people say, oh, that's an antiquated word. No, there's bodies of everything. There's a keto body. There's vegan body. There's a little click in a body for every little thing you can imagine, right? So we're all a part of bodies. Bodies meaning a collective group of people who have a shared identity, right? Yeah. And, and Jesus' body is just, hey, imitate me. Actually do it. Stop talking about me. Just do it, you know? Yeah. Just imitate me. And right now the church is like Peter in the boat when the, the storm is happening and Jesus is walking on water and they're looking at the magical wonder of Jesus, but they don't want to do it too. So they want to stay in the boat and just say, you know, bow their hands like uh, they're waving in, in submission and just say, wow, you are Hercules. Wow. You know, and, and you know, we're sitting in the boat and saying, hey, maybe we should be like Jesus, too. Maybe we should walk on water and sacrifice the fear of our neighbor's freedom. Sacrifice. Get rid of that instead of sacrificing our neighbor. Maybe just maybe if we don't put drug sellers and users in prison, maybe the cartels that kill people, maybe they would fall apart. 
maybe they they die under the weight of their own greed because they wouldn't have a monopoly to make money in anymore. If you could buy your, if you have a, a drug you need and you can get that online without going to the violent gang down the road, then they go out of business. Yeah. And then their recruitment mechanism with fast cars, fancy clothes, and, and big expensive guns, they don't have any money for that anymore because there's just as much money in selling cabbage as there is in selling marijuana. It's just get in, get in, start a business, you know? It's not a thing, you know what I mean? You yeah. gotta find something else to do because the, the prohibition uh, of these certain things is what creates these violent, mimetic escalations of violence that, that turn into these ugly cycles. So when Jesus says, do not resist evil with violence, he's giving you a new rule for a new way of doing politics. So we're sitting in that boat with Peter, watching Jesus walk on water, and we're like, wow, he's so good. Yeah, I, I'm a Christian. I'm with him. Okay, get out of the boat and do it now. Go free your neighbor from marijuana charges. Go get him out during nullification. Don't vote for any more of these laws. Don't yeah. say you'll make another excuse and vote for some politician that keeps these things on the books that are harming your neighbors, destroying their families, destroying their lives, psychologically disturbing their children. Stop it. And they say, no, you're not Jesus. Don't tell me to do that. That's what they, that's what yeah. Christians will say. Or, yeah, you can't <laughs> tell you me say? to repent. You have yeah, no right to say that. You're not Jesus. Yeah. You're not Jesus. They always say that. You're not Jesus. Don't tell me that. No, wait, wait. He's saying get out of the boat. So we got to do the same thing he's doing. But they don't want to get out of the boat. They want to keep Jesus in their little pocket so that he's safe and that he's always conveniently out of the way when it comes to making the choices about how to treat our neighbors. Yeah. And that goes for the small things in our personal life, and it goes for the big things when we vote. We think when we go into that ballot box, when no one's looking, that, that curtain closes, that we can go circle and select something, some law or some politician, to do something on our behalf that we would find it to be a sin if we had to carry out ourselves. Yeah, that we, we've kind of no gone past. Yeah, we don't want to do the scapegoat thing anymore because we've been able to see the evilness of it. But then we just pick a different scapegoat. Yeah. And, and that's what I wanted to have you give some modern day examples of that. But I think you've done a great job. And it goes on either side. I mean, it, when we talk about the classes that are fighting against each other in America, it's the, the Democrats and Republicans. And they're all, you know, whatever the other one is for, the other one's against. And, you know, it is this back and forth. But that's their scapegoat now, right? Either side has a scapegoat. And they're not yeah. really. So what Jesus did was he destroyed the unit. Yeah, the part that we figured out so far. In imitating Jesus is that we figured out that scapegoating is bad and that we can see it, but we only see our rivals doing it. We don't see ourselves uh -huh. doing it. Yeah. It exactly. So we're like halfway there. We're not there fully yet. Um, so whatever church you go to, you scapegoat the other church. Oh, those guys didn't get it right. Sorry, they're just a little dumber than us. You know, <laughs> you know, their, you know their, their doctrines are just a little bit aggressive and ours are good, you know, or, you know, our country never goes to war. We never do election meddling. We're just great people, uh, you know, or, 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 you know, if you're a Democrat, no, all the bad wars are Republicans. All the good wars are Democrats. You know, it's always, you know, so we're getting there, right? Uh -huh. we're, we're going through a repentance process. And so again, if this is our pacifier, or if you want to use a drug addiction, if this is our, if scapegoating is our drug addiction, it makes us feel better about ourselves. We're going through a withdrawal process where we still get a little bit of it, you know, but we're trying to, we're trying to kick this habit because, you know, basically the drug isn't giving us the high anymore that it used to give us. We don't feel as pleasurable uh, and smug in our self-righteous condemnation of scapegoats because we're starting to see, oh, wait a second. Yeah, that that's, maybe the drug war is a failure. Maybe we should look for alternatives to violence-based 
government schooling where you use coercion to get your education. Maybe that's creating hidden victims when we when we forcibly tax people to pay for education services that they fundamentally think are awful. Maybe yeah. that's violent. We can't fully recognize it, but we feel it. We're feeling the process. It's like we're going through a repentance. This is what it looks like. It looks awful. It's going to get really ugly. And yeah. you got to buckle up. Everybody needs to get their houses in order because uh, this is going to be a wild ride because, again, and it has something to do with the development of media technology, which is that it's it, this is a weird thing. I'm going to try to explain this because it's so important. This is something – it's not really Gerard talks about this. It's just something that I've developed in conversation with Gerard's work and other works and just looking at the Bible, that the gospel is a media technology. So when they write this report about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they write this these, these, these stories, write a report about what happened to Jesus. Right, that's a form of media. Right, they, they're writing they're writing this eyewitness news report, and then then it gets spread around. And so, wherever that story goes, whether it's orally told or they read it, then that story hits that human heart and starts to soften. Maybe just a little bit, maybe not at all if they're totally dead to it. But it starts to break down the community's uh, ugly practices of violence and all, all the the bad ideas that are protected by by violent sacrifice. But see, what happens is, is the more technology we have to do media, the more rapid the gospel infection is in our way of doing things, which is why we're losing our mind now in the age of the internet, right? Because it wasn't until just recently that we all had HD phones with high-speed internet with live stream video capability. We can both live stream and we can watch live streams and cheap, affordable for everybody to have. Yeah. Which means instead of just being uh, four gospel witnesses, it's millions and millions and millions of cell phones capturing the persecution of Jesus. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're watching the scapegoats happen. Now you're getting. So what happened? Right. So now we can see it. Now we're. Now it's like. And now we also hear other people's perspectives that we wouldn't normally hear from. And so now the the monopoly on media, which is myth, is falling apart faster and faster and faster. And the only reason why it's falling apart is because the gospel infection is making innovation better and better and better. Yeah. This is a weird relationship that the more the gospel infects our culture, the more it gets us to find new solutions, which makes our technology better. And then as that technology gets better, it makes media technology more accessible and more decentralized and more and more voices are able to be heard and many of them are getting it wrong, of course, but the, Be, the point yeah, is because they the mimicked, only way, yeah, the satanic lie. Yeah. So the, the only way that you can keep the scapegoat mechanism going is when you have unity with it. Because when everybody says, yeah, that person was the witch, aren't they? And they say, yeah, yes, she was. Wow. Wasn't that great that she is no longer here or he is no longer there? Yes. I feel great. You know, yeah. everybody agrees. And then over time you write a story about it and say there was a witch or a God that came to us and we had to, we had to talk to them and all of a sudden they flew off the cliff and we never saw them again until every now and then we'll see it come back. And then we know we need to sacrifice a, a child to them or something. That's what myth does. It, it, it projects what we actually did through cultural memory into, it projects it onto the gods. The gods did that. Just like today you sit on a jury and say, well, this was the law. You should have known the law. You're going to jail. They don't know that actually Thomas Jefferson and, and, and John Adams 
our Caesars, of our construction, of our government, said actually you, you have the right to, to nullify bad laws. You actually have the right to use your, your God-given conscience to strike, to strike down tyrannical laws that are against your God-given liberty. You actually have their ability to judge the law when you're in a jury. They don't even know that today, but we just go into groupthink and say, well, everybody says he's guilty. I guess this person who sold uh, marijuana is going to prison for life. Uh, well, you know, Jesus says, do unto others as, I, as you would have them do unto you. But I guess it doesn't apply here because I just got to comply. Go ahead and stick them in prison for life. Yeah. Say goodbye to your kids. You're never seeing them again. How awful. 70% of people say they're Christians and they're doing that. Cause that, I mean, I guess that means 70% of the juries are Christian, allegedly, or something in America. Yeah, like you said. 70% we... of the juries should be nullifying everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like you said, though, that we have... You know, we have created a God of our own, uh, even though we say we're Christian or whatever, you know, we're creating God in our image, not in what the Bible or what Jesus even told us to, right? That they're, that we've created our own God. Yeah, we objectified Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we objectified Jesus. It's so important because just because, and here's something for people who are not Christians, like, just because they say Jesus doesn't mean they represent Jesus, okay? If you, if you go to a professor's class and you flunk off and you don't do the work, uh, and then you fail the test, you don't blame the professor, you blame the student for not doing anything, even though he was a part of that professor's class. So there's a lot of people that use the word Jesus, and then they justify wars and all these things, and it has nothing to do with the, the, the spirit of Christ. And so what we have to judge the, the origins of, of Christianity on are the founder's life. And it's clear that it's clear what he says for us to do. Don't resist evil with violence. Turn the other cheek. Those who live by the sword die sword. And of course, what he did on the cross is the ultimate statement for humanity to understand and wrestle with. Um, but you said something there that, what was the last thing you just said? Because I wanted to touch on something you said there. Um, uh, the last... <laughs> oh, that we have created God in our own image, not what Jesus wants yeah. us oh, to. Oh, yeah. That, you know, that's a, yeah, that's such a great, that's such a great illustration for what I was going to say is that the, the story of Barabbas, right? When in the trial of Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, Pilate says, hey, look, we can let one of these prisoners go. Do you want to let go of uh, Jesus or this person Barabbas? And Barabbas is not, you know, most of the people in Sunday school, you just think Barabbas was just a killer. He just was like a serial killer. He's like Ted Bundy or something, right? <laughs> but, but he wasn't. He, he was actually a revolutionary. He was, the, the word they used for Barabbas was actually like, he was, he was like William Wallace. He was like a guy who was ready to free Israel, right? Oh, wow. So I didn't know that. <laughs> that makes him, yeah, that makes him more of an interesting character, right? So it's, it's not like a, an easy villain here now. You know, you're just like, we, we just want to believe that the crowd was like, Okay, so we've got Ted Bundy or Jesus. Who do you want to save? I mean, not Ted. Who's the guy, the serial killer? Is that Ted Bundy? Yeah. Yeah. It's the guy that's killing everybody. You've got a killer here. You know, we have Jeffrey Dahmer or Jesus. Who do you want to save? And the crowd was just like, yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer, let him go. Or Jack the Ripper, come on down. You know, come on. Out. No, that's not what's happening. It's like, actually, he's, he's like more like William Wallace. He was trying to start a revolution against Rome. And so, actually, Barabbas' name, you know, Bar Abbas, Bar means of Abba the Father, right? Uh -huh. And then the earliest gospel writings of this story actually named his full name was Jesus Barabbas. So his name was the same as this. So Jesus was Jesus, son of the father. And then you have this other Barabbas, this Barabbas, who is actually Jesus, son of the father. So it's the tale of two Jesuses there, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, and the text is doing that on purpose. There's, so Jesus was a common name. Yeshua was a, that was his name, mm -hmm. Yeshua. So Yeshua was a common name back then. So you've, it's not, you know, but it's like you have two Yesh Yeshuas. You have the Yeshua, you know, of the Father, and then you have another Yeshua of the Father. Which one do you want to save and which one do you want to kill? See what I mean? Yeah. And that's the question that we have to face today as Christians. You know, which, 
which Jesus do we want to save? I mean, who, who, which Jesus do we want to choose to be with? You know, sounds like many of us Jesus, would rather be with the other Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, we choose Jesus, we preach Jesus, and then we go to, you know, we want a William Wallace, we want Rambo. So we'll fit our Jesus into the mode of Barabbas. So the crowd is still choosing the wrong Jesus 2,000 years later, right? And that's why, you know. We pick the easy yeah. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, but it's not easy because guess what? Barabbas, the fake Jesus, you know, the other Jesus, they actually followed his way. And that's why Rome utterly destroyed every single thing. Because their spirit, wow. you know, they, see what I mean? So, yeah. so they actually chose the, the more ugly way, you know? They didn't choose the nicer way. Yeah, so yeah, they, they, chose they chose the, the eye for the awful. eye, right? They chose the eye for the eye versus yeah, what Jesus the, was. Yeah, they said, well, and they had a reason just like we have a reason, you know? We, we have a reason for why we want to get rid of the liberal, get rid of these people, or get rid of the rich, or get rid of these people, or that people. We always have a good reason, right? And the, the Jewish people, they were looking at these awful Roman occupiers, and they were saying, yeah, we, we want to overthrow you guys. You guys are awful, terrible people. You're rapists, you're killers, and some, of course, are good people. That's what they were thinking of Rome, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, you know, that's what they were thinking of. And so, of course, they want the Jesus of Barabbas. They want, the, the, they want William Wallace to say, freedom! And oh, Jesus, who is God's son, is over there saying, actually, you know, um, we're going to save the whole world. And you need to let go of your own sin because your own sin looks a lot closer to your Roman occupiers than you think. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're a lot closer to what you're doing. You know? So so that's not a good that's not a good story. That's repentance. That's changing your life and not responding to people in the same way they do to you. And um, so they, we keep choosing the wrong Jesus 2000 years later. But, but of course, we're going to be destroyed just like Israel was destroyed because they chose the wrong Jesus. They had the spirit of revolution and then Rome came down and, and just utterly annihilated them. And Jesus said that, you know, they, they would be thrown into the fires of Gehenna. Gehenna was a valley outside of Israel where Josephus records that the people following in the imitation of Barabbas as a violent revolutionary, they were thrown off into the valley of Gehenna and the fires that consumed it when they utterly destroyed Jerusalem. So that's what's going to happen to any place, any group of people that, that encounter the story of Jesus and have the opportunity to reject the use of sacrificial violence and statism and blame. And it's not just statism. That's just the, that's the manifestation of it, right? Because the answer is not the Libertarian Party or any of that. That's not the answer at all, you know. It, it, it's not about just pick a better team and we're the good guys. Then, then we're doing the same thing that the Pharisees were doing, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, we just get the pure ideology right and then we'll get it right. No, you're still missing it. But that's what's going to happen to any, any country, any group, any church that doesn't let go of the sacrificial violence when they encounter the story of Jesus, that they will destroy themselves. And wow. that's exactly what's happening now. Check out the rest of our interview with David Gnorski next week. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.